Welcome, everyone, to the Tag You're It podcast. This is David Van Beber, and Adam is not with me today. I am so blessed to be joined with my friend, Don Vino. Don, thank you so much for giving us this time today and your busy schedule. Uh, just got back from the Parliament of World Religions, so you've been a, a well-exposed gentleman. But um, this is, of course, I think the third time you've been on our program. But if you don't mind, would you just remind those who are watching just a little bit about yourself and what you do and your background? It would be great for them to have that information. Well, uh, I am a missionary to cults and non-Christian religions. That's our calling. Uh, unfortunately, part of that calling also means from time to time we have to look at false teaching in the church or particular false teachers uh, to try to figure out exactly what it is that they're doing and how uh, we can interact with them, perhaps bring them to repentance, if not to then warn the church. So. It's really two aspects to what we do. Our primary calling, though, really is trying to reach those who are outside of the faith. Uh, and we do that in a variety of ways. We uh, attend to the Parliament of World's Religions, as you mentioned. It's a gathering that happens every three to five years. Uh, the goal is to try to bring about world peace under one umbrella, the Parliament. Uh, they're working to become the religious ambassadors for the UN. Uh, and uh, we were just at it uh, at uh, the one this past week in the Chicago area. And we did note, by the way, just as a side note, that the language of some of the plenary speakers and workshop leaders has made some decided changes over the past 30 years. Hmm. Uh, they've never really been Christian friendly, if you will, but it has become adversarial now. Christians are authoritarians is how they're phrasing it that's the language they're using uh and uh, we've gone from workshops like how do we get along as uh, i don't know muslims and uh, hindus or wiccans and christians in a pluralistic society to we have to silence conservative speech period very uh, interesting it is yeah so well one of the main reasons that we have you on the program today is because you are releasing the second edition of your book uh, that you released 20 years ago, A Matter of Basic Principles, Bill Gothard and His Cultish Teachings. Now, this, of course, is coming out as the 20th anniversary edition and kind of corresponds a little bit with this recent documentary shiny happy people that was of course made a lot of waves on netflix but before we get into the book directly i think it's really important um because i had never heard of bill gothard up until about october of last year when you came to our church and little did i know that it was of course in the uh it had been published 20 years ago and it was about ready to come back to the forefront because of this documentary so uh you're uh, right on time i guess maybe 20 years early is right on time. Uh, but before we jump into the book in particular, those who maybe haven't seen the documentary, who have never heard the name Bill Gothard, who is he? Uh, why is he important? Um, what is his movement exactly? Those are great questions. And what I have found, um, how do I phrase this politically correct? Those who are younger than I am, how about that? <laughs> may not be aware of the name. Uh, it may be as, as familiar to them as it would be to others. Uh, it is more familiar within homeschooling groups, for example. Uh, 
but Bill Gothard uh, arose in the late in the 1960s, really sort of 1964. His movement and his teachings have permeated the church in ways that most don't realize, because even if you haven't heard his name, you have had your pastors and elders teaching his doctrine in many cases. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some don't realize it until they start reading our book and come across things like, well, what is the umbrella protection uh, as he teaches it? And then how does that compare with what the pastor or elders or both think about authority? Uh, and when you start seeing that, it becomes sort of a dangerous thing. So <clears throat> he came, uh, uh, started in 1964. He was a graduate of Wheaton College. Uh, his goal was really to start a, a sort of a youth club initially. Uh, but as he started doing his presentations, he developed something called the seven non-optional principles of life. And uh, the, the phrase right there tells you what it is, non-optional. Uh, and uh, the second one is authority. That's a very important one. Everything really stands or falls on this teaching. And so he started his seminars. He was uh, well-received because in at that period of time, our nation was in an uproar. There, there you go, the umbrella protection. Uh, yeah. The nation was in an uproar. We had, were having riots on college campuses, in the streets. The Democrat Party was... Uh, uh, kind of having some issues. Republicans obviously are having issues. Uh, at the same time, you have people singing about uh, uh, how we all need to be one. <laughs> John Lennon's uh, Imagine comes out in 1971, kind of played a role into that. And so Bill Gothard was doing his teachings actually in baseball stadiums, packing them out. Because his thing was, the problem we have in our nation is authority. And parents who are afraid for their kids started shipping their kids to the seminars. Uh, 30 to 50,000 at a time in their church buses and stuff. And uh, so it, uh, it grew quite rapidly. And only a few started looking at his material because you couldn't buy the material in there. You had to go to the seminar and you got each one a chapter at a time. He taught 24 hours over the course of a week. And he would, uh, and then in between breaks, you would get your next chapter. So you couldn't read ahead. You were under obligation not to tell anyone what the seminar was about once you left, <laughs> because you should get them to come to the seminar. That should be a tip off that there's issues. Yeah. And in the first night, he tells you some important things. First of all, that, authority is like an umbrella of protection that's what you have this image up here if you're under the umbrella you are protected from all of life's ills and foibles whatever might befall you uh you'll have well-behaved children you'll have a good-looking wife you'll get a great job life will be really good but if you get out from under the umbrella protection then you are subject to all sorts of problems in life as a result of not being under the authority so now this is a caricature of his teaching in the sense that he doesn't really say your wife will get ugly and your kids will get well, you know, misbehave. But it's sort of a rise of that. It's, it's a kind of a uh, morality prosperity gospel. If you live under the umbrella of the teaching as I give it, you will prosper. Those two go together. Oddly, though, in the um, 
and, and he uses a, a story of the Roman centurion to kind of uh, give that uh, uh, case uh, that the centurion came to Jesus to have his servant healed. Jesus was going to go to his house. The, the centurion said, you don't have to go. I understand power. Basically, I understand how power works. Uh, I say to somebody, because I'm a man in authority, to go here and do this and go there and do that, and they do it. Uh, you have simply to speak the word and my servant will be healed. From that, Bill Gothard goes, you see, he understood how authority works. It's top down. If you're under the authority, you're protected. If you're not from uh, under the authority, you are not protected. Now, here's our question. And we pose this to Bill Gothard. Is the story about authority top down or is the story about Jesus? He can heal long distance, right? Because he has the power of the universe at his disposal, he can heal long distance. He doesn't have to go there. So it's a story about Jesus. It's not a story about authority. Yeah, right. agreed. You know, it's interesting, as you say, you have been impacted by these teachings. One of the things that I found fascinating when you first introduced me to Gothard back in October of 2022 was my dad had gone to some of the seminars and people had paid for him to go. And of course, he was never one who followed him. He he didn't pay. I know my dad. Uh, he wouldn't pay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he didn't want, buy, want to buy any of his material. And uh, But it's so interesting, as I have dealt with different people in what always seemed odd to me and kind of some of the f reformed circles that I would run into, they always did talk about authority and overseers. And while they didn't directly quote this, it was certainly something that I saw the the language anyways being used. And as I look at this chart, you know, it's one of the things uh, in that documentary, shiny happy people they don't really talk through this kind of like you did right there and of course i find that to be a major flaw but one of the things i notice even about this as one who uh really enjoys wayne house's charts your your friend uh wayne house he always is when he creates a chart he has scriptural proofs for it uh, you don't see any of that here and you said that you directly addressed uh gothard um about this now when did you first encounter Gothard's stuff, and what really kind of um, set the, I guess, the red flag up in your mind on what's going on here? And then tell me a little bit about some of your interactions with Gothard, because I think that that's really interesting. Um, just jumping to the documentary, um, they don't really talk directly uh they don't really have someone who's a voice for gothard in any way and so while i think that that's strategic um i i'm kind of interested in someone who really has sat down with gothard and talked through some of these things with him so i know it's a little bit uh convoluted that question there so let me be a little more well, simple yeah it isn't actually I, I probably need to give just a tad bit of history to answer the question yeah uh, as uh, you know, and I've spoken about this, I think last time I was here, is uh, I grew up not as a Christian. I was an atheist. Um, and uh, from there, after I became a Christian and we started attending a church, some of the members of the church were very excited about Gothard and paid for Joy and I to go. They were insistent we had to go because it would be very helpful to our spiritual growth. And so 
we agreed. We didn't know anything. I mean, I was still learning about the Bible. Joy had grown up in the church, so she knew considerably more than I did. Um, and uh, we went there the first night within oh, within 20 minutes. So I was like, I, I can't be here. I just can't be here. Uh, and uh, we uh, after we left that night, we did say tonight, after we left that night, we never went back. And we never thought any more about it. We thought, okay. He's just a legalist. It's probably okay for some people, but we're, we're not there. Didn't think anything more about it. That was in the 1970s. And uh, in the early 1990s, we were running a hotline, a helpline for Jehovah's Witnesses, pri primarily. But we started getting phone calls on other groups. One of them was people calling from Oak Brook, Illinois, about a cult that was in Oak Brook, Illinois. Now, Oak Brook, Illinois is very expensive real estate. It would be difficult to see how a cult could afford it. Uh, and as we did some digging, they said, well, they're holding young women hostage against their will. And I thought, well, that is really kind of weird. And so <laughs> we did more digging, and it turns out it was Bill Gothard. And our response was, well, he's, he may be a legalist, but as far as we know, he's not a cult. I mean, he yeah. doesn't deny the essential doctrines of the faith, as far as we know. So we started getting more calls. They grew in number and they grew in intensity. People were very concerned about Bill Gothard. And so Ron Hensel, who had was becoming our senior researcher at the time, he and I spoke about this and decided, well, maybe we should check into it. And uh, so we got what material we could get. You can't buy it, remember? So we mm -hmm. had to get it from former Gothard followers. And, uh, and as we started looking at it, we started realizing that his teaching was desperately heretical in some core areas. Now, we thought, young and impressionable as we were at the time, what we needed to do was to contact him. He was seven miles away from us, see if we could set up a meeting. Perhaps he just doesn't understand the error of his way biblically and would be open to some correction. And. He didn't call us back. So we wrote a, a book, an article, this is 1995 at this point, uh, titled uh, Bill Gothard's Evangelical Talmud. Uh, now, a Talmud is, uh, you know, it's basically the uh, collection of the teachings of, it was in Judaism, on how to live Jewishly. So he's doing the same thing, basically. And he's applying many of the Old Testament commands to Christians today, which is a problem. And a, a local radio station, a Christian radio station, talk show station, uh, one of the hosts contacted me, and we had known each other, and she said, okay, you need to come on my show and talk about this article. It's very important. I have lost friends because of Bill Gothard. They won't talk to me any longer. So we agreed, and she was promoting it one morning heavily, uh, and uh, I got a phone call as I was walking out the door from Bill Gothard, and he said, you can't go. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, Matthew 18, you have to, to meet me as a brother. I said, two things. Thing one, I tried contacting you. You didn't call back. Thing two, uh, this is a, a First Timothy 5 issue. You're a public teacher publicly teaching false stuff on essential doctrines of the faith. And that does not require a personal meeting. But I'm open to it. He said, okay, well, let's, let's meet. And I said, okay, I'll call you after the show, and we can set up a time. We're <laughs> very happy. 
we invited him on. He was on, and he did not do well, unfortunately, for him. Uh, however, it did then set us on a trajectory of meeting and dialoguing. We, the first time we met, my, I wanted to make sure he didn't have a way to say, you're not following biblical teaching on this. So I had our pastor with us. Ron was there. I was there. We had another party there. So he couldn't say that we weren't under authority. That was a very important part of the discussion. And, and we spent time asking questions about his teaching. One of them was this issue of umbrella of authority. And, and I said, Bill, after you lay this all out, you state that the only story we have of Jesus in his youth was when he remained behind in the temple. And that's true. And then you went on to say that uh, his parents came back looking frantically for him, and he had to make the tough decision to get back under his parents' umbrella protection. Now, you've already stated prior to that that getting out from under the umbrella protection is rebellion, and rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Now you tell the audience that he had to make the tough decision to get back under his parents' umbrella protection, which would mean necessarily he got out from under to begin with, wouldn't that mean he's a sinner, therefore, and could not die for the sins of the world? So either your teaching is wrong or Jesus is a sinner. It really can't be both. Yeah. He thought about it, kind of stared up into the corner of the room, and finally he said, no, my teaching's right, and Jesus isn't a sinner. And that is pretty much how our discussions carried on for the next six years. This wasn't something we took lightly. We spent a great deal of time in meetings with him, writing back and forth with him, writing articles about him, which we shared with him. Uh, several times he had staff with us in our meetings to try to help confirm things. And he teaches a lot of very strange stuff. So um, at one point prior to the publication of the first book, now bear in mind, this is after six years of meetings and talking and writing, and we decided, okay, we have to do this in book form, and now it's now time to really tell it to the church. We've been doing it in, in journal articles, but now we're going to do it in book form. And uh, he had to call, he was ready to print, he had called to say, could we meet? Perhaps if we had a meeting with a, uh, a moderator, we could resolve the issues. And would you ask Norm Geiser to moderate? And I said, I'd be glad to. And so I called Norm, and Norm said, I'd be glad to, but I need... Uh, a list of what we're going to talk about, where we're going to meet, and what we're going to do after the resolutions are made. And so I wrote a letter, explained all of that to Bill Gothard, copied Norm on it, sent it off to him. Uh, Bill never responded. And a year later, Norm called me and said, okay, we've given him enough time. Go ahead and publish the book. And so we published the book. And then Bill called Norm and said, it's a shame Don wouldn't meet with me. And Norm said, wait a minute, you're the one who didn't follow through. Don did agree to meet with you. Here's the letter. He gave him the date and all that kind of stuff. And then, then they wanted to meet. So we did. The agreements were that Norm would moderate. We'd have an outside neutral observer, which happened to be Modern Reformation magazine we agreed on. It was Bill and several of his ministry heads and Ron and I. It didn't go well. Uh, Bill couldn't really defend his positions biblically. And when we brought up two major things, one is his circumcision is moral is a moral requirement according to him, 
Hmm. Uh, the second is that uh, the marital instructions in the Old Testament are mandatory for Christians to follow today. So when your wife has her cycle, for example, you can't sit in the same church she sat in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Modern Reformation magazine was shocked by that one. So yeah, um, yeah. wow, it was interesting. So, but no resolutions as a result of that. The book came out, and um, kind of the rest of history that way. Uh, several within the Gothic movement read the book and left Gothicism. They were shocked once they realized saw it laid out. The definition of grace has got a very faulty definition of grace. It's, grace is something that you earn. Uh, whereas the Bible says, tells us that it's free. Now, grace, just for those who are watching, a, a long definition of grace is this, a kindly attitude toward the undeserving. It's a word that was in use prior to Christianity ever surfacing in Rome. Uh, it's a kindly attitude toward the undeserving. And because of that kindly attitude, you receive other graces, other gifts as a result of that. So we call it unmerited favor. That's a shorthand for this longer version. For Bill, it is the power and ability to do God's will joyfully. And so he's very Roman Catholic in his view of grace. God gives you the spiritual gasoline called grace to be able to live a righteous life. As a result of that, you get more spiritual gasoline called grace to please him. Uh, and so it's, in many ways, it's just like Roman Catholicism. So, man, Don, uh, that's an incredible amount of background. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, I mean, you were meeting with him over 20 years ago. Uh, you knew there was a problem showing up. My, my dad said he didn't feel any obligation to be in, uh, involved in it, uh, you know. Um, but I think kind of like you when he first showed up, that, well, okay, this guy's a legalist, but he's probably not hurting anybody. Um, that becomes much more thoroughly investigated i think one of the issues that i find uh when i think about the netflix documentary one of the things that i thought was very interesting was they were really polarizing on uh i don't say polarizing focusing on the fact that there were allegations of sexual assault uh seemed to be a very real thing you weren't even in on those things, your key piece was, look, theologically, as Christians, we need to be speaking out against this because it is a trap. It is a prison uh, that people put themselves in, just like any cult is. I think the main thing that, you know, at least brings us to the forefront, you know, with your, your book coming out here, and I can't remember, did you say that it's already been re-released, or is it, uh, are we... No. Um, it's interesting, we've had, because it kind of went out of publication maybe three or four years ago, gotcha. uh, and, and we felt, I had maybe, there were maybe 300 copies or so left out of 10,000, uh, about half of which we gave away, because we're... As you know, we're a, we're a mission. We want to help people. So yeah. whether, they, whether they buy it or didn't buy it didn't matter to me. If they needed it, they got it. That's just how it worked. Yeah. But, you know, storing that kind of stuff is kind of expensive. And, and uh, uh, the need for it sort of had waned. And so people were saying, you know, please re-release it. And we're going, it's just too much work. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, um the series came out now they had contact me because that's one of the things you want to talk about they had contact yeah 
In fact, much of what they did stemmed from the book. They read our book as they were getting ready to ah. And Olivia Christ, who's one of the executive producers of the, and directors of the piece, called me. We spent probably an hour and a half on the phone with her and one of her other folks. She asked several really good questions. The, one of the first ones was, why is she having such a difficult time getting people to talk with her who are not necessarily Gothard friendly? And I said, okay, that's a fair question. Uh, and an honest answer is they don't trust you. Mm. I said, why? I said, because you're affiliated with Amazon, which is not a Christian-friendly organization. They are concerned that if they do agree to be interviewed, that their words, their statements will be taken out of context and used to make Christianity look even worse than Amazon makes it look all, you know, uh, and, and and sometimes uh, pastors who get engaged in sexual sin, for example, make it look. Uh, they don't want to add ammunition to that. So my best advice to you is if you want the Christian community to at least acknowledge that what you're doing is legitimate, you're going to need to very early on make clear that Bill Gothard is not teaching Christian doctrine here. Yes. Now, they did that. Oh. In the first three minutes of the first episode, they do yes. have someone say, Bill Gothard isn't teaching Christian doctrine. The rest of the series, sorry, spoiler alert, the rest of the series seems like it is a assault on evangelicals. Now, they don't uh, use that term. They use right, the term fundamental. fundamental.